This is Relic Radio Science Fiction, science fiction stories from the golden age of radio. Our episode this week comes from the Globe Theater. It aired October 17th, 1944. It's titled The Distant Future. Here's your pass to the Globe Theater. This is the Globe Theater, the radio playhouse especially for men and women of the armed forces of the United Nations. Just as the Globe Theater has meant the best in entertainment since the days of Shakespeare, today it means the best in radio drama for servicemen and women all over the globe. Here to tell you about tonight's play is your host at the Globe Theater, one of the favorite actors of the English-speaking world, Herbert Marshall. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Globe Theater. Tonight we depart from our usual type performance in this servicemen's playhouse to bring you a story about the distant future. It's in two parts. First, a stroll into the polar regions, which are certainly going to be our front door stoops in the air age to come. And second, a trip into outer space, not on the cover of an astonishing stories magazine, but as a trip may very likely take place in the scientific world of the future. Of course, any glimpse of what lies before us in time is purely a matter of conjecture. However, for all of us, and especially the men and women in uniform, the future is our hope and our challenge. There is no particular star in tonight's Globe Theatre play, but you will hear from a number of very fine actors and actresses who are familiar to you on the radio and on motion picture screens. Among them is Hans Conried, who plays Dr. Nattir Booth, and Lon McAllister, who has been making a very fine name for himself in pictures these days. Shift your imaginations into high gear, ladies and gentlemen. We are off to visit the North Pole of the distant future. Nut. What's the matter, dear? Ah, it looks as if we're stuck here for another two hours. The pilot won't take off until the wind dies down to 100 miles an hour. Well, I suppose he's just playing it safe. Oh, that's a lot of foolishness. Well, I've taken my flipper off in stronger winds than this. Well, there are worse places to be stuck than the North Pole. Uh, I don't know where. The South Pole, maybe. Hey, pop in the snack bar. Grab them all. All right. You know, I'm glad we're stuck here. I've always wanted to see this place from the ground. It looks so interesting every time we flew over. Right in here. <laughs> Top of the world snack bar, huh? Oh, this is cute. Yeah. Hey, here's the table. Sit, sit down. Thank you, sir. Oh, look, Joe. Huh? A new vitamin book cover for our collection. Hey. North Pole Biltmore. Uh-huh. Oh, we don't have one of these. I'll put it in my purse. <laughs> Gee, you can keep more stuff in that purse of yours. <laughs> Next thing I know, you'll be keeping a parachute in there. Really? Parachute went out with a skirt. Uh, what'll it be, folks? I don't know. What's yours, hon? Oh, I think I'd like a chocolate milk. Yeah, make that too. Ah, oh, gee, folks, I'm sorry. The refrigerator's broke. <laughs> I'm all out of ice cream. <laughs> Couple of hot chocolates, then. Yes. All right. Hey, that's a smooth piano, Mr. Matthews. Oh, he isn't here. He isn't? Oh, certainly not. That three-dimensional television kind of fools you for a second. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, that's Eddie Duchin, Jr. He plays in all adult hotels at the same time. Pretty smooth. <laughs> Say, uh, we got a couple hours to kill. 
What's there interesting to do up here at the pole? Uh, well, you you might try that there 35-cent tour of uh, North Pole City. It's pretty interesting in spots. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, then there's a pool in the basement if you'd like to swim. Oh, not me, brother. <laughs> it's uh, very nicely heated, sir, and with all that artificial sunlight, why, it's exactly like Palm Springs. Uh-uh. It's just the idea of swimming at the North Pole. Ooh. Excuse me, goose pimple. <laughs> Maybe I was raised wrong. Uh, or uh, you could take an elevator down under the ice. Uh, that trip in the uh, glass-bottom submarine's real educational. Well, who wants to see an iceberg's underdrawers? <laughs> we'll take that 35-cent tour. Stop on our Polar City tour. That grand ballroom was really beautiful, wasn't it, dear? Oh, I don't know. I didn't like it nearly as much as the Admiral Bird Room at the Antarctic Ritz. Now, will you please stand right here, sir? Right in the center of this room. Okay. Now what? Which direction would you say is east? Uh, east. Uh, this way. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. There is no east where you're standing. Huh? And no west. And no north. Well, I give up. Where am I? Well, from where you're standing, sir... Every direction is south. You're smack on the North Pole. Am I? How do you feel, dear? I <laughs> just like Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, incidentally, there's a toy shop over here. That's in case you want to bring some kids a present from the North Pole. Oh, we haven't got time. What's this over here, guys? Where? Oh, yeah, that thing in the glass case. Oh, well, that's the original Perry tent. And that's the American flag he planted here. You know, back then they didn't have hot and cold running water. They sure had air conditioning. Yeah, that I can believe. I'm sorry that the mines are closed to tourists during the winter season. Mines? Way up here? Oh, certainly. Why, the world's richest deposit of pitch blend lies underneath the Arctic Ocean. Yeah? What's pitch blend? Well, that's the stuff that radium is made from. They mine it here, and then they ship it by cargo planes to Vladivostok. How far is Vladivostok? Oh, about the same as Seattle. Five hours. Hey, have you folks dropped in at the game room? No. What's that? Well, it's right over here, through this glass door. Well, the air drive on that door is getting noisy. I'll have to report that to maintenance. Boy, what a rumpus room. Oh, you gotta watch those ping-pong glares. They're really good. Hey, how do you That's like That's an it? unusual game they're playing, too. You see, the funny thing about this room is that the international date line runs straight through it. Huh? Well, as a matter of fact, it goes smack along the net of that ping-pong table. Well, I'll be done. And that means that the guy on this side of the table is playing on Friday. And the guy on that side of the table is playing on Sunday. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if you watch the scoring, you'll see that Sunday's a little ahead of Friday. <laughs> <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> hey, tell me, son, how long you worked up here? Oh, ever since the place opened a couple of years ago. I like it because it's so handy to home. Oh, watch the door, please. Where's home? Oslo. I hit your plane ride almost every weekend. That's a wonderful thing about this place. It's handy to everywhere. I never could figure out how they got along back in the old days. When everybody used to travel east and west instead of over the poles. It's almost as if they didn't know the world was round. Yeah. This is really the crossroads of the world. You know, I've been thinking. Back when Perry trekked up here, folks had the idea that discovery just meant taking a quick look at a place. Now that doesn't mean anything. Well, real discovery is making a place livable. Building airports and hotels and digging down to find what's rich underneath. You know, if Horace Greeley was kicking around these days, I'll bet he'd say, go north, young man. Go north. <laughs> You'd have a hard time going farther north than this, sir. Oh, boy. Hey, this has been some tour, son. 
You know, I'm getting sleepy. Hey, why don't we take a sweep and catch the morning train? That's a swell idea, huh? Uh, but we'd have to be up at the crack of dawn. Oh, then you'll be a month and a half late for your plane, sir. Huh? Up here, the crack of dawn is it March 23rd. We've shown you one frontier of the distant future, the polar regions. But there is another frontier waiting to be explored, even more distant, more mysterious, more dangerous. Space. What did they say? Many words. Did they like the plan? Some did. And they were the debate? Many hours. But they ought to the answer. What did they tell you? The answer, my darling, is yes. Oh, Piotr. Come now, you must be happy, darling, as I am happy. But I know what it means. Well, so do I. I hope to make you very proud of your husband. I am proud of you. I know this is what you want to do. Well, what I must do. Well, I was really quite successful in Geneva. How much money did they give you? 500,000 international dollars. So much? Straight from the treasury of the World Academy of Arts and Sciences. It's enough to build all of my designs according to specification. How long will it take, Pierre? Oh, four or five months. The magnesium mills here in Stalingrad have already started on the molds. I telephoned them from Geneva. Four or five months. And then? And then the big experiment. We'll tow the projectile by cargo plane to Tibet and finally take off from the peak of Mount Everest for for the other world. You alone? Well, there'll only be room for one and barely room for him to stand up. If I can ever get out there, free, in space, well... I'll have my hands full with things to do. Oh, darling, why must it be you? Well, why not? But you told me yourself that there was only one chance in ten million that the man who first left the Earth in a spaceship would ever return alive. Well, perhaps that's that's what I was born for, Ilona. Perhaps that's why I was spared in the siege of Stalingrad. Perhaps that's why God has given us so much happiness and such a full life, my dear. So that it could end with high purpose and no regret. But not you. Send Sergei Piotr or the American Dr. Donaldson. He would give anything to be the one. Well, it's my brainchild, Ilona. I've got to see it through. Ilona, once, once men dreamed of flying like the birds, and then two Americans conquered the air with wings and motors and... And no sooner did mankind win the air than we wanted to go beyond it, outside the earth. And now I've found a way to explore space. And I have the backing of the World Academy. It may not work, my space projectile, but somehow I think it will. True, once I get out into space, I... You'll probably never return, but... Oh. 
did Magellan return, or Amelia Earhart? Did, did Scott come back from the South Pole? No, no, I, I, I shall probably become a second moon revolving around the Earth. And after a million years or so, my orbit may slow down and I'll come crashing back home again. And people will say, look at the falling star. Speaking to you from Mount Everest Observatory in central Tibet. Here, on the veritable roof of the world, the great Soviet scientist, Dr. Pyotr Natyrbov, is about to launch a man-carrying projectile beyond the atmosphere of the Earth. In two preliminary tests last week, Dr. Natyrbov's cordite propulsion compound exploded test projectiles successfully into outer space. Now, for the first time, a so-called spaceship will leave the Earth carrying a human passenger. Our microphone is set up on the rim of the rifled underground tube, bored three-quarters of a mile down in the solid rock of the Himalayas. Deep in this pit is a huge teardrop of magnesium, lighter than aluminum, which will be driven upwards as a shell out of a cannon's mouth at a speed greater than a thousand miles an hour. Uh, just a moment. Just there's, There is Dr. Natyrbov getting ready to descend the elevator to take his place in the sealed cockpit of his projectile. Uh, Dr. Nikirbov. Well? Uh, doctor, may, may we please ask you just a few questions, sir? Well, of course, but naturally I must hurry. The instance of the launching has been very delicately timed. Uh, you expect to reach the moon, Doctor? I hope so, yes. What do you think of your chances, sir? Well, about one in a hundred thousand. Uh, you see, the, the slightest wind pressure or change in barometric reading as my projectile leaves the Earth's atmosphere will will magnify itself into an error of thousands of miles after a few hours. Uh, tell me, Doctor, how much oxygen are you taking with you? Uh, enough to keep me alive for ten days. Just enough to reach the moon. I'm lucky, yeah. Well, how about your trip back? I'm afraid I'm on a one-way ticket. Won't you be able to turn around, sir? Well, what good is a rudder without air you can't push against ether, son? <laughs> I see. Uh, how about the shock when the projectile goes off? Oh, well, uh... I won't know what's happening. I'll be unconscious. You see, uh, Dr. Donaldson will strap me tightly to the bulkhead so that the inertia of my body won't crush me. And then he'll administer an anesthetic so that for the first 45 minutes or so of my trip, I'll just be taking a nap. Uh, when I wake up, I'll snap on my radio and I'll give you then a meteor's eye view of what's going on out where they cook up the cosmic rays. <laughs> uh, gosh, are you frightened, Doctor? No, but I must admit that at the moment my pulse is a little fast. <laughs> uh, a doctor, before you go, we've cleared a radio channel through to Stalingrad. Oh. Uh, Mrs. Natyrbov is waiting at the observatory there to talk to you. Yeah. Very considerate of you. Thank you. Into this transmitter. Right. Thank you. Hello, Ilana. Hello. Hello. I didn't think we'd have a chance to talk again. Darling. Yes, I'll be careful, my dear. Ilana, I, I've written you a letter. A long letter. It explains many things. Uh, the most important thing won't be news to you, my dear. Just that I love you, my Ilana. Oh, Pio. I'm I must go down now. I 
have only 11 minutes more. Fifteen seconds now. Dr. Donaldson and his party have just come up the elevator. They've checked the clocks with Greenwich to a thousandth of a second accuracy. It's ten seconds now. It's odd that although Dr. Nechirboff is headed for the moon, it hasn't even risen yet. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two... a firecracker. Ladies and gentlemen, for a split second, we saw a silver shadow flash across the horizon, and then it was gone. The smoke is washing down the mountain. Our ears are pounding. As a matter of fact, my nose is bleeding from the concussion. Yes, what is it? Hold the steel. Nobody's listening to you. That explosion just blasted the whole network off the air. Observatory in the world is looking for him. If he got out of the atmosphere, he's a thousand miles away by now. That's a long way to look for something 18 feet in diameter. Hello? Studying Grad Observatory? Uh, Alamar calling. Think we've picked up your projectile on our 200 inch. We don't know. They found him. Oh, thank God. That's great, Palomar. What's the reading? Right ascension, 6 hours, 14 minutes, 32 seconds. Declination, 47 degrees, 16 minutes, 40 seconds. Check. We're waiting for his radio contact. Keep in touch, California. Don't let him out of your sight. Right. What's the time now? Fifty-four and a half minutes. Well, why doesn't he radio? Are you certain you're on the right frequency? All five bands. The crystal checked. When he talks, we'll hear him. It's fifty-five. Why doesn't he talk? Maybe he hasn't come to yet. It's an awful shock, Yelona, from standstill to a thousand miles an hour in one instant. The human heart is a delicate thing. Poor Pioke. What was that? Carrier wave. He must have turned on his transmitter. He's alive! Oh, Piotr's alive! Stalingrad Observatory. Piotr Natirbov calling. Quick, go on, listen. Stalingrad Observatory standing by. Go ahead, Dr. Natirbov. Come in, Stalingrad. Do you hear me, Stalingrad? We're standing by, Doctor. Go ahead. Answer, Stalingrad. Answer if you hear me. Answer any radio station on Earth if you hear my signal. He can't hear Answer, us. Answer, Stalingrad. We'll give it another try. Answer if you hear me. Hello, Piotr. This is Hello. Piotr. We can hear you. Calling. Keep talking. We're taking down answer everything you any... say. Answer if you can hear me. Oh. I'm getting no answer. <laughs> That's no use. Our radio waves can't reach him. Why not? We can hear him. Something we've suspected all along. We know now. We can get radio signals in from outside, but ours bounce right back on the earth again. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm going to keep on talking. Keep on talking, Piotr. Keep on talking. I'm still a little dizzy and weak. And a steady wearing off. Both, both my wrists sprain. 
Must use fiber straps next time instead of rough web belting. Got it. Uh, the sky... The sky is pitch black. Although I, I can see the sun clearly. Too clearly. Must use darker ultraviolet filters in glass of the next projectile. The sun is burning my skin very badly. Oh, my darling. Stars are incredibly bright. No twinkle. Can see... Can see tenth magnitude with the naked eye. What will we be able to see with a telescope? Earth looms enormous. Covers nearly one-third of the sky. Uh, terrestrial terminator crossing the Alps. Shadows are beautiful. I wish I could do Strange that. sensation hanging in space. Uh, no sense of movement or, or of direction. You've lost all feeling of up or down. Silence is terrifying. Why doesn't he get out of his instrument? The hull of the projectile strained in launching the, the slow air leak astern. I'm using my oxygen rapidly. Oh, that's bad. Never make the move. Oh, temperature, temperature falling, nine below zero centigrade. Next projectile must be darker to absorb more heat. Check. I'm adjusting the telescope. <laughs> the, the funny thing just happened. I, I dropped my pencil. Only it didn't drop. It just floated in the air. Gravity approaching nil at this point. Well, that's odd. His gravity pull should still be strong. I have discovered two... Yes, two new moons around Jupiter. Please name one, Elena. Oh, Bill. Observe the faint planetary disk beyond Pluto. Now, uh, that may be a comet or maybe the tenth planet. Who cares about the solar system? Look out where it's deep. Difficult to realize the amazing visibility without air. Sergei, uh, I'm now conducting your experiment, the one we talked about. Good, good. The telescope adjustment is very difficult. So cold here. It's very can't you turn the speaker up louder? It's wide open. He's, he's getting out of range. I have the telescope sighted exactly 180 degrees away from the sun. I'm looking for a star about 40th magnitude showing a characteristic G-type spectrum. Good, good. I found one. Uh, yes, I have. I, I'm going to check it now with my spectroscope. <laughs> So faint, I don't know whether I'll be able to identify the absorption line. Yes, it'll only match. This it'll only match. The, the spectral match, line for line, that faint star out there is the sun. Our sun. It's shining all the way around the universe. I don't understand. Well, that proves it, don't you see? Einstein was right. Eddington was right. Space is curved. The universe is round. What a theory, I can prove the third. He ought to keep on going. Don't say that now. Elona. Elona. No, don't turn it off. No use. Is there any hope? No hope. Galileo, Newton, Magellan, 
Move over, gentlemen. Make room for Piotr Natyabov. Gentlemen of the World Academy, I wish to thank you for the high honor which you have bestowed upon my husband, the late Dr. Piotr Natyabov. As men of ancient days traveled on unknown seas to prove that the world was round, so has Dr. Natyabov, the first voyager into space, proved that the universe is round. For his telescope, riding in space and unhampered by even so much as a thin veil of air, has looked completely around the universe. I know what his thoughts were in the last hours as he hung between the earth and the moon. For I was with him, really. And this letter, the last he wrote, speaks those thoughts far better than I could say them. My darling Ilona, tomorrow is the great adventure. We both know the dangers. And the art. Yet I feel a great calm tonight. For I know that this is the one day toward which my whole life has been bent. You and I, and all of us, have lived through bitter and terrible years. But we never doubted that this was a world worth fighting what emerged was good. The chance for all of us to explore. Go and tell this to the children of the earth. The Milky Way is their front lawn. The pole star is a lamppost out of their back window. Oh, yes, there's more than a world to fight for now. There's a universe. <laughs> We have just explored the far reaches of the future on this planet and beyond it. This has been the special Globe Theater tour of the future, streamlined and fitted with all the most modern attachments. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our thanks to all the performers in tonight's play, Hans Conried, Lon McAllister, Lorene Tuttle, and to Claude Sweeten, who conducted the orchestra. If you happen to disagree with any of the preceding predictions about what we may expect from science in decades to come... Please don't tell me about it. Just argue it out among yourselves. I should be having enough trouble backing the auto gyro out of the garage. However, if you would like more stories along this line on future Globe Theatres, drop us a line and tell us so. The address is Armed Forces Radio, Los Angeles, USA. Listen for our next performance if you can. And remember that until then, this is Herbert Marshall wishing you the best of all good things. And I'll be seeing you.
have been listening to the Globe Theater, produced for servicemen and women of the United Nations and their friends. If you have any requests for stories or stars to be heard on future Globe Theater presentations, merely address your request to Armed Forces Radio, Los Angeles, USA. And listen again soon when Herbert Marshall will introduce another production from the Globe Theater. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. sci-fi for this week i hope you enjoyed it you can find more from relic radio science fiction all the other podcasts and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. got a shoutcast stream up and running there as well with even more old-time radio and as always if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows your donations make it all possible click on that donate link or visit donate.relicradio.com if you'd like to help Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Monday with another episode of Relic Radio Science Fiction.